0: that's real
1: scary. All right. Welcome to Your Church Friends Podcast. I am Chris. And I'm Mirdek. And we are here, season three. We're talking about villains of the Bible. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. dun, dun. Which is kind of crazy because there's a lot. Yeah. There's more than what we think. When we go, th- we have to narrow this list down. Like we were crossing people off. Yeah. So there might be villains
0: part two at some
1: point. Hopefully. Well, not. Oh, maybe. Yeah. I think we kind of picked the good villains. I don't know. Good villains. Is there good villains? <laughs> but yeah, we're, we're doing villains this season and we got such a huge list of them. We're going to talk about Samson, Goliath. We're going to look at King Nebuchadnezzar in the New Testament. We're going to look at the, the Herod's. We're going to look at Egypt, Rome, and and empires, and a few more on that list. So it's going to be a fun season of villains. We really got excited about this when we kind of talked about the idea, because a lot of people look at the heroes of the Bible, but not so much the villains of the Bible. And I think it's good for us to kind of look at them and, and see what that's all about and what made them villains. And especially, like, we like to look at the heroes, but I think that we also like to think of ourselves
0: as the heroes. And not that as we go through the series, it's just like, hey, this is talking about you. But, you know, wisdom is, why is this person a villain? Is there any of that within me? Because our hearts are deceitful. And kind of as I've been studying through stuff, I'm I'm finding, oh, I don't really like studying into these villains because
1: I'm not as
0: righteous as like I would want to be. So, right. yeah.
1: Yeah. Uh, so I, I think it's going to be a fun season. I'm really uh, excited about this. And. Mainly more this, and I loved it last season. And honestly, I can't even believe we're on season three already. Yeah, that's nuts. Right? We've been doing this for over a year now, and and that's super cool. And God's been awesome in everything that we've done or accomplished. But what I'm looking forward to this and what really kind of got me back into it. So the Sermon on the Mount, season one, was dive into the Bible. I did studying on the Sermon on the Mount. Season two was more like our friends, we came in and we just chit-chatted about questions. And I was like, well, I'm not super studying about any of this because we're going to have another person they'll talk a majority of the time, so I'll just sit back and listen, throw in some things here and there. Those are good conversations. Great conversations. I really like the last season. We get back into seasons, and I'm preparing for today's villain, and I'm studying in the Bible again, and for me, it was that deep study. I really enjoyed getting in there and kind of picking apart things, listening to sermons, commentaries, reading things about this person. I had two books that actually helped me, so it was, it's, this, to me, is why I was like, season three, we're back actually, not to say we weren't in the Bible season two, but we're actually in the Bible again, looking at things. So I, I'm excited about that.
0: Yeah, studying for this one, I was looking at the Grand Vizier of Senniakib, and <laughs> What? Yeah, I know. So again, <laughs> studying, it, it'll,
1: it'll take you places. Yeah. All right, so uh, you want to get into it? I did have a question or like a thing, but I think I'll save that for the next one because I we kind of... Had a lot of talking going on here for the beginning of this one. And so we could just dive into our villain for today. Fine. Fine. <laughs> <laughs> so sad. Just because
0: you prepped me for the question.
1: So I'm sitting there the whole time. Like, all, right, all right, we'll do it. Fine, we'll do it. We'll do it. Favorite villain of all time from movies, TV, books, comic books. I would say fictional genre. I, I wouldn't want us to list any bad people from real life because might not be good. Okay, you took that joke from me then. <laughs> um
0: it's funny that you prepped me for it just because last time i think when we were talking with pastor ken you're just like what's the best like guys buddy film i was like dude that pop culture is not where i'm at so even in thinking about this i'm like oh man what is there who is there and i was really trying to think through all of the different villains and all the different stuff it's like man who's my favorite or why or who's affecting me like who's been a good villain that was just like villainous and I was stretching back far. I was thinking back, dude. When I was a kid, I remember watching Brave Little Toaster. That clown that came out, <laughs> like
1: that's terrifying.
0: That whole movie. If you use, yeah, like, Brave Little Toaster is not for kids. That's a, that's a, the whole movie is a villain. So I was thinking about that. Don't watch Fantasia. That devil at the end, mm-hmm. he'll he'll get you. But then I came down to two that I was kind of looking at, and one is Thanos. Yeah, and I like him. One just because watching. Uh, was it end game that was the first issue right mm-hmm. yeah. no uh infinity war. infinity war watching him when he did the snap and all that happened. sorry spoiler alert um if you haven't seen it by now sorry i was just like no sorry oh he's a villain that actually accomplished and like mm. he's off doing his thing and then when you get into the next one he had his mission he knew what it was that he was wanting to do and he wasn't just oh, i want to watch the world burn because once he did it he went he destroyed the stones, he did the thing and he was just like i'm done And it was just a really weird thing as far as a villain. They were just like, what is it that was within him? Because he was, throughout the whole thing, like really level-headed and just, it was kind of weird. It was just like, a lot of times we look at the villains as someone who's completely bent out of shape and all this stuff. But this was just a person who had a thing in his thinking and he went out to accomplish that thing. So that was one. The other one, I was thinking about it and I, I, I didn't get the chance to look into it. But there's a movie where there's just these people, I think they put on like clown masks or something. And they'll just like roll up to your house and just like terror like terrorize you i only watched the movie once and it freaked me out just because i thought this is very possible to happen
1: was it the purge
0: no it was just like a family it was like a group of like four people and they just roll up on this house in the middle of wherever and just like go in and just like that's terrifying because for the most part a lot of us are really susceptible to that so as far as a villain goes like that was just a really real villain because thanos that ain't gonna happen like you can look at the underpinnings of like what it was that was driving and I'm like, oh, overpopulated, so there's all this hurt and all this stuff. Like we need to correct it. And I was like, oh, Georgia Guidestones, that's weird. If you don't, you kind of look at me where Google it, it rabbit <laughs> rabbit hole. But these other people is just, oh, that's scary, scary. Because that's real scary.
1: Those are good ones. I, I I had Thanos on my list because what they did real well in Infinity Wars, and, and Marvel seems to do this really good with their movies, is they actually make the villain. Relatable, mm-hmm. like you're not looking at him from that lens of like back in the day, Darth Vader. You knew Darth Vader was the bad guy until the story kind of changed by the third one. But this guy is relatable. His, like you said, he was on track. He was on mission. Once he accomplished it, he went to his farm and and lived his life. And I was like, man, I live on a somewhat farm and garden and do things here. I relate to Thanos in some sense. And then I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm not a crazy genocidal madman like this guy, am I? And then the other one I have, and the other character they did that really well, Marvel, is um, Black Panther Killmonger. The fact that he was exiled, and all he wanted to do was get back, and they made him super relatable, and you're like, you feel bad for him, but then you're like, no, he committed all these things. But the other one I have on my list, and this might be a shocker, is Schmeagle. Mm. Lord of the Rings. Because, again, I think a good villain... I mean, if you want to be scared from a good villain, like there, there's that. But a good villain to me is you don't really recognize that they are the villain. Mm-hmm. And Schmiegel, obviously, people see the going back and forth of my precious and serving Frodo and helping him. But underlining it all, all he wanted was the ring. And that's all he cared about. That's all he wanted to get from Frodo and and, and take it from him. So to me uh Shmigo was a good one because he and you can see him like there's the character turn well okay i'll try being good well this isn't working so now i'll go back to being bad and i'll plot evil and i'll try to prevent them from getting to where they want to go because where they want to go they're going to destroy what i really want the most so i thought he was a good villain and, and in the movie you always think like the big eye guy was sauron Uh, That he's the big Yeah, because when I was
0: thinking through, oh, villains, and I thought, oh, Lord of the Rings, and I thought of
1: Sauron, Mm -hmm. and I even thought of Saruman, but I didn't think of Schmeagol, Golem. so that that was a good Because the main mission was that. All the other things that were happening were the side things, but the main mission was that, and Schmeagol was the one there with him the entire time causing the trouble. So, yeah, those are villains from other things, and we're going to get into this now. Villains of the Bible, Season 3, the first villain we're going to start off with, and I think it's somewhat obvious... Judas. This whole time I couldn't remember if we already said his name in the introduction, so
0: like, don't say it, don't spoil it. I (laughs) did say. I was like, I don't think we said it yet. I I better wait till till Chris says it, then I'm safe.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's always a good uh, good rule of thumb. So it's Judas. Judas Iscariot. Judas is one of the twelve disciples in the Bible. Uh, If you don't know, Judas is the guy who betrayed Jesus and uh, handed him over to be arrested and then crucified and died. So Judas is out the gate going to be number one because. Hey, you're the guy who betrayed Jesus in the Bible. So I know a lot of people think, well, the biggest villain in the Bible is Satan. But as we go through the season, we'll see there's actually probably a bigger villain than these two in there through through it all. But yeah, Judas, one of the 12. One of the 12. <laughs> so in Mark chapter 3, uh, we have a Judas, and I'm not going to read it, but that's a good passage to go look at of like Jesus anointing and picking. And, and that's the thing that kind of trips people out or trips me out is that Judas was one of the the 12 picked by Jesus to be part of his like inner circle. And, and the crazy part now, as I thought about it, as I went through the list and I read it, I'll actually, let me get my Bible here. The crazy part is no one names their kid Judas anymore. Right. Like that name just died. Kind of like Adolf? Yes. Yeah. Another one that was very popular and no one does. And uh, every time his name is mentioned, it's always last in, like, the list of the apostles. It's always at the tail end. And it was a popular name,
0: so there was other Judases. So whenever they mention another Judas, they'll even be like, not Iscariot. Yes. (laughs)
1: Let's just clarify. That's interesting that you brought it up, because uh, uh, the famous patriot for the Jews was uh, uh, Judas Maccabee. Mm Mm-hmm. So And they have books on Maccabee where you could read about that if you want to go and look that up. So Judas, yeah, it was a very popular name back then. I think even one of Jesus's brothers' names was Judas that got shortened to Jude. Right. And all of that's coming from Judah, right? right. One, of, one of the
0: tribes, which uh, I'm not sure if you're going to bring this up, but kind of worthy, God is worthy of praise, thanking God, something along
1: those mm-hmm. lines. Yeah, super cool. So the names are, you got Simon. Okay, that's a name people still use for their kids today that gets changed to Peter. Still a name that's used. James and John, Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, maybe not as popular nowadays, could make a comeback, but Bartholomew was still a name that goes around and some people are just called Bart, so that's short for it. Thomas, James, again on that list, Thaddeus. Now Thaddeus is a nickname for Judas, who then went by the name Jude, so shortened up to Jude. Mm -hmm. And then Simon again, the zealot, and then there's Judas. So again, yeah, it's not a very popular name, but I think a lot of times Judas kind of gets this weird view that like people think of him as like this sinister bad intended like clearly he's defined as the bad guy of the group. you could see it, he just maybe the kid from the other side of the tracks that looks a little more rugged and is hanging out with these you know holier than thou people like he's not the guy in all red while they're the guy in all white and i I think modern not modern day paintings, but like As paintings kind of became a thing, a lot of people, uh, you know, growing up in a Hispanic household, we had the Last Supper up in there in our house. And, you know, Judas was always the guy in the corner, like, looking all shady, a little darker, trolling his mustache type thing. And and that just wasn't the case. Where did he get that pitchfork? Right. (laughs) (laughs) Why does he look so menacing? And everyone else is like, totally fine. So uh, I don't think that is the case. Mm -hmm. One of the things I found interesting as I was studying uh, the other day was I got to Luke chapter 9 where Jesus sends out the 12. And so he throws sends out the 12, and as he sends them out, he gives them this command. it's Or he does this, I give you the power to cast out demons, to help anyone who has a disease, to heal it, and to preach the kingdom of God. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of times, as I read this, I never included Judas in that. Now, you always think because the more prominence of their roles in the Gospels, I always think, okay, Peter, James, John, Andrew, maybe Philip, The other guys. And then the rest of the dudes, yeah. Thaddeus. Thaddeus. (laughs) But I never put Judas there. And it dawned on me that Judas was there, and he was preaching and healing the sick and casting out demons just like everyone else. So I think it's good for us to kind of really look at Judas, not so much as like, I love a movie where the villain, you don't know he's the villain, out the gate. Mm-hmm. Uh, what was that one? Usual suspects. You ever see that one? If I did, I don't remember. Where, like, it was they were interviewing the guy. I can't remember something, Spacey or whatever, like the, the guy's name at the very end or the villain's name. But they're interviewing this guy who seems to just be like a nervous kind of henchman. And he's talking about the guy and, and all the scenes. And you're like, and, and describing all the bad things that have happened. And at the end of the movie, the cops are like, okay, yeah, you could go now. And as he walks out, you know, he's walking out with his little limp, showing that he's like just a henchman who's mm-hmm. crippled. And then the watch, he straightens up his oh, back, yeah, 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 starts walking and he walks by and just goes. And that's the end of the movie. And you realize it was him all along. Like that, that to me is a, not a good villain, but a way that is portrayed more accurately. I think that villains aren't necessarily what we always think they are two things coming off of that just with the fact that he
0: was around and part of it and kind of even going with what you said that you would exclude him mm-hmm. is that I've I've seen this and I've heard this from missionaries that when they go and they're relating the story of Jesus to a people who have never heard it and sometimes this is when they didn't have even the language so they're d- doing it a lot through play right so they're having actors and they're doing it and they're acting it all out and we have so much of the hindsight and so much of the culture that we already know who who Judas is and what he did before we even go through the story Mm. that to actually put yourself of going through the story in real time, like how it happened that Jesus called this guy and Jesus knew what his shortcomings were, but still invited him in and that in real time they're going through it. And then you get to him being the betrayer and it's, Shocking because it's where did this come from? He's one of the 12, and yeah, to actually see it how it actually is versus our overly culturalized, oh, yeah, Judas, he's always been, we don't include him, he's just like you know, fully that that kind of brings in the humanity to him. No, he was one of the 12 and he was there, but also brings in when Jesus is saying things because Judas heard all of the teachings. Jesus says something like, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. He goes, but didn't we prophesy? Didn't we cast out demons? Didn't we do all of these things in your name? And it's like, Judas did those things. And he heard that teaching. And just like how you're talking about Gollum having that back and forth in his mind, that's...
1: Yeah, that's a really good point. I want to touch on something you said too about Jesus knew his shortcomings. And, And again, when we look at Judas, because all the writers by this point who wrote the Gospels lived through the experience of it all, Yeah, they're all putting Judas, who would soon to become the traitor. Like, that's almost at the tail end of every time his name is mentioned. But, again, look at the list of the 12. They all had their shortcomings. You know, you had Simon, who was putting his foot in his mouth left and right. You have... Betrayed three times. Yeah, I mean, he denied Jesus, which is somewhat betrayal. Mm -hmm. You have... Matthew, who's a tax collector, who was taxing probably some of those guys before they all got together. You have Simon, who's a zealot, so he's an extremist. If you want to say like a religious extremist. Uh, You have then James and John, who were like they called them the sons of thunder, probably because these guys were a little
2: rambunctious
1: and rough around the edges. So, and then you have Philip. What I liked about Philip, and I mentioned in our Q and A of the last episode, was you know his whole thing with uh, Nathaniel. And when Jesus, and you're like, what could come, what good could come out of Nazareth? Right. And then Jesus comes up to him and like, here's a Jew of, of, of Jews, you know, like you're, you know, the word I, I kind of envision him as someone who just may have a little bit too much religion in him. Mm. And so because of that, yeah, it, Jesus pulled them all together. And, you know? he pull, and then he pulls all these people together, right? He pulls the guy who was just taxing Peter last week with him. And then he's saying, go change the world. So it's a good thing and this is kind of a side note, so we're gonna like I'll get us back on track after this with Judas' story, but it's to let us all know that when Jesus put this band of people together, it wasn't because they were perfect. It was because of their shortcomings. Because when we when we go to Jesus with our shortcomings, it does make us lean harder on him and know that he's supplying and giving us every resource that we need to kind of be I don't wanna say better, but be more like him. Yeah, and before we get fully back on track, just think go because we
0: call him Judas Iscariot right and Iscariot's only mentioned with one one other person and that's Judas's dad Simon so Iscariot and kind of pulling that in like okay it seems like it's a family name and what does that mean and there's a few different lookings at what is Iscariot I don't know did you look into that at all? No I didn't I had a book
1: that had it but I didn't kind of dive into that.
0: Yeah so looking at it just off the top of my head getting into it it's Kind of maybe it's from a region called Karyoth, which is down in the region of Judah, which is kind of, it brought it to my mind when you said, oh, the guy from the other side of the tracks, because when you look at everyone else that Jesus called, and as far as what we can tell, they were all from the region of Galilee, versus if Judas was down from this area in Judah of Karyoth, then like, he was the outsider, hmm. which is kind of interesting. Then there's another thing of looking at, again, getting into the language of it, did it mean something like Sikari, which is... Kind of like one with a dagger. Uh, It was part of the zealot group that were kind of going around and doing those things. So was it related to that? And then even there's people looking at, can you tweak that word to get it to mean the betrayer? But a lot of people don't really go with that because then it's redundant. You basically have them saying, oh, Judas, the betrayer, who was the betrayer, Mm. which doesn't make the most sense. I tend to think like, oh, yeah, it's probably just the region, seeing as how, unless his dad was also like an assassin, dude, one of the Sicari. Mm. That's a possibility. But That story goes even deeper then. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, just when you're talking about bringing these yeah. people together, because you're talking about the zealots, and we definitely have uh, Simon was the zealot, right? Yeah. So, you know, it's possible that there's another one. But just looking at Iscariot, but I, th- I thought that that was an interesting thing that Judas could have been an outsider compared to the rest from a different region as far as the families go. Hmm. I don't know what that contributes, but
1: interesting tidbits. Well, that's facts. Yeah. Facts are always good. So let's move on to then... Um, the next encounter we have of Judas in the Bible or the next story that where I saw him get picked up in was in John chapter 12. So we'll uh, put these in the show notes, all the the scriptural references and where we're pulling from. But we're basically going to hop around the Gospels, try to pull a cohesive narrative of what was happening in Judas's life. But the next one is that I found was in John chapter 12. And this is where Mary comes in and anoints Jesus. So she brings Jesus. It's the Passover and Jesus is reclining and he's hanging out with everybody. And she brings a jar of perfume and she cracks it open and starts pouring it on his head and like doing all the other stuff and just basically like anointing him with this jar. And it says uh, in verse four, but one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who had who was going to betray him. See, there it is again. Right. There's Iscariot. And there's the term who was going to betray him asked, why wasn't this perfume sold for 300 denarii and the money given to the poor? Judas did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And as the keeper of the money bag, he used to take from what was put into it. Jesus replied, leave her alone. She has kept this perfume in preparation for my day of burial. The poor you will always have with you, but you will not have me. So I think this is another interesting story of like where Judas was going, because from what I gather, this is towards the tail end of Jesus' life. So this is after spending three years with him, and you can see that he had been already dabbling with the back and forth, kind of again going with that golem of I'm going out and I'm doing these things. Oh, but there's money, and I'm keeping charge of this. Little bit maybe here doesn't hurt if I put it in my pocket, and so you could see his nature and his heart in this and where he was already kind of going. There's very little. I mean, even when we put in the show notes as far as scripture goes that there's
0: really not that many scripture references about Judas. What was his background? Where did he come from? What is all this stuff? But then you get, okay, if there's very little, then what can we get from there? And one of the things here that it pulls out is that he didn't say it because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief and he was keeper of the money bag and he would help himself to it. So you already see he's got an issue with money. And it's all, I don't know, just going back to Jesus had such a keen insight. There's several times throughout the Gospels to where he knew what the Pharisees were thinking, right? Or he just knew where people were at with stuff. And it's just an interesting thing to me that for him, when he's got his 12 guys, right? They've all got their responsibilities. And knowing where Judas is at, he puts him as the money keeper. And I don't know. I don't know what to do with that.
1: That's crazy that you bring that up because I I have it in my notes because I, I did hear something interesting. Uh, it was a preacher saying that, he believes that Jesus put him in charge of the money because knowing he had the issue with money, that it was a spot to put him into where he was either going to surrender and and stop loving money more mm-hmm. and love God more and love Jesus more, or it was he was just going to go in and, and give in to it. But it was almost a place of like, I know what you struggle with. Here it is. Are you going to resist this and fall more in love with me? it almost goes into we've talked about this the the concept more today that i like to lean into is uh stopping a sin or a habit that you have that's not good you just can't quit it cold turkey you have to replace it with something you love more what god has called us to is to love him more so that that replaces our desires and what our wants and the things that we want to do i see that here that this is kind of that i don't want to say test but i mean god tests us all the time we get put in compromising situations will we compromise or will we not and maybe it's not god testing us and it's just part of what's happening but we're always in in situations where will you choose me or will you choose what you want yeah
0: and a good teacher will put you into those situations because otherwise you can't prove what you've learned or that you've grown or that you know what i mean mm-hmm. so it's like yeah. i get it but it is interesting it's just a, a line up yeah. there especially given what happens later
1: Yeah, I really liked, I had some things here, and what I put down here, and I'm going to get into it more, was uh, he was trying to do good for the wrong reasons, and I think that's something that needs to be spotlighted, is that he was trying to do good, but he didn't have the right reasons, and I think a lot of times, we can fall into that trap, too. Like, again, looking at Judas, don't look at him through the lens, and any villain we're going to go through, stop looking at him at the lens of, like, oh, that's a bad person. Look at them through the lens of... That's a person. That's a person. And could that be me? And I think we kind of get caught up with that. But yeah, we brought up the he loved money more than God. Uh, I got this quote, and I thought it was really cool. It said, uh, "Judas was not particularly a wicked person, and it's by Tozer, just a common money lover. And like most money lovers, he did not understand Christ." And I kind of feel like that is where you know Judas's life was at at this point, where he again, what we said, he loved something more than God. Looking at all this. You know, we we kind of read that portion where like Satan entered into his heart. He kind of gave Satan that foothold.
0: Going back to Jesus teaching, right? We have it in written in the scriptures. So we'll tend to kind of look at, oh, cool. Well, we get to benefit for, for it, right? Like it was written for us. It's like, no, it was actually written to other people and for them, we get to benefit. But when you look at, well, who is surrounding Jesus when he was talking these things, right? It wasn't the whole nation of Israel. For the most part, he was talking to his disciples a lot. Sometimes there was the crowds that also gathered. And just think of Jesus, maybe even catching eyes with Judas when he goes, you can't serve two masters. Yeah. Because you're going to love one and despise the other. You can't serve God and money. And we see it. Like, here's an example of it carrying out, which even as you said, could I be this person? Yeah, it's a hard thing, especially in today's world where, things can look pretty scarce and crazy. And how am I going to store up for myself? And what is that going to look like? And we can go crazy trying to like build up for ourselves
1: and have the money to do. It reminds me when you're talking about that, like the beginning of COVID and we're still kind of going through everything. So, but the beginning, 18, 19, 20 months ago now, whatever it was.
0: 200 years. 200 (laughs) years
1: ago since the dawn of COVID. The toilet paper thing. Mm Mm-hmm. Like people went nuts for toilet paper, and you're like, "Why? Why are you got 500 things of toilet paper stored up in your house?" And, and it was just like this insane thing of like no one could rationally reason why, but they saw everyone going after it, so they had to go after it. Mm-hmm. And I I, I kind of feel like that's almost what happens with us when it comes in. And maybe what was going on in Judas's heart was like, "I see everyone else, and they're getting they're wealthy, or this or that," and and. Ma- I don't want to say this was an issue with Judas just the time when he was with Jesus, because this may have been an issue his whole life, Mm -hmm. was money, almost like the rich young ruler, where where that was a thing for him. I see everyone getting that, and I want to go after that. Well, especially not, because
0: you look at another time when the disciples come to Jesus, and they're like, we gave up everything. Mm -hmm. Like, we literally gave up everything. All we have is to follow you. So yeah, definitely not lucrative. And if you're doing that for a few years, and it can be crazy because you're seeing all of these miracles happen. You're involved in some of those miracles. So obviously something amazing is happening here. But yet it's just the craziness of the sin rooted in our heart is yeah.
1: I'm going to dip into the bag. So it's a real heart thing for him. And, I, and like I said, I, I feel like this is a good highlight of, mm-hmm. of where when we look at, was Satan kind of just all of a sudden bum-rushed him and that's why he betrayed Jesus? No, he was he had that door open for Satan and he, he left a little crack open and that crack would get bigger and bigger and bigger the more he was there. I have this and then we'll take our break. It says, it is the particular majesty of Jesus that he can conquer a man without man's first approaching him. But Satan's fatality is provided by this, that he cannot approach a soul unless the soul has first turned to him. I read that quote, and it just kind of hit me, you know, that God comes in at us. We don't have to be seeking God. God's going to come get us. But for me to turn over to do the work of the devil, which, again, to me, that's if I go out and flip someone off while I'm driving, I just kind of did the work of the devil because I allowed myself to get angry. That's me turning in that direction. That
0: was a really good quote. I'm going to have to grab your paper and read that later. I've, I really,
1: yeah, that was impactful. All right, let's take that break and then come back.
2: Hey, everybody, it's Remy. I'm here to tell you about a cool company, Potters Gold. The dollar is losing value every year. But do you know what doesn't lose value? Gold. In fact, the value of gold is on the rise and increasing each year. With all of the uncertainty going on, the best investment you can make is gold. More specifically, an investment with Potter's Gold. We have both new gold and old gold. And we also offer premium collector coins. No gimmick, no hassle, no nonsense. What you order is what you get. So call 1-800-277-8910 or go to their website, getmegoldpottersgold.com to order, and to protect your future. Now let's get back to the show.
0: We are back from the break, and Chris, I'm still thinking about that quote, because it takes things that I know to be true, but man, just the way that it put it, but that we just open up ourselves, right, for the devil to work through us, and we kind of give that opportunity and that opening. Where we left with Judas was we can see that money was one of those things for him. And as you're saying, there's a thing for all of us. You know, money might not be my thing, your thing, but what is the thing that could tempt us and take away and open up that door? But kind of moving into the next part of the narrative that we have, I have in Luke 22, I'm just going to read the first six verses. So now the festival of unleavened bread called the Passover was approaching and the chief priests and the teachers of the law were looking for some way to get rid of Jesus, for they were afraid of the people. Then Satan entered Judas say that again. Then Satan entered Judas, called Iscariot, one of the twelve, and Judas went to the chief priests and the officers of the temple guard and discussed with them how he might betray Jesus. They were delighted and agreed to give him money. He consented and watched for an opportunity to hand Jesus over to them when no crowd was present. So even just to look there, like the things that took place, we already know, okay, Judas is kind of dabbling in, in some stuff that some darkness in his heart that's opened up but as he said all of the apostles like were you know struggling with with different things but this one just really got a hold of him and it got such a hold of him it says then satan entered judas and then once that happened then he went to go for the full betrayal in my studies i came across like i couldn't tell you who the quote was from but basically rather than saying that at that point judas became the betrayer it's that the betrayer became Judas.
1: Oh, that's good.
0: You know, it's the mm-hmm. devil working through Judas at this point. And that's a thing for really even in my mind, for as much as I'm aware of the spiritual reality that we're in, is that when you get into the way that the Bible thinks about spirituality and where our thoughts come from and kind of we are receivers in a lot of ways and there's a lot of things is like spiritual forces pressuring us and acting in us. I think the old Greek thing is kind of like as our senses go, there's a thing called a noose, which is kind of like your are Spiritual thought receiver, kind of a thing. And just taking in all of this that I like to think, oh, I live in a physical world. I'm aware of God. I'm aware of spiritual things, but what I'm doing is just me doing and me making decisions. But no, like the spiritual realities and the influences that are going on, like, mm, why did I fully slip up right there? Am I just going to blame, oh, I have my temptations and this is that? Or is there something more insidious working within it? when well, we see here, It's, okay, Judas was screwing up, but at this point, he really joined forces with dark forces.
1: That's a super cool quote. I really like that concept that Judas became the traitor, the betrayer became Judas, because, Mm -hmm. yeah, that's really cool the way it looks at it. I went to Matthew for the same story. What I found interesting when I was looking through this, though, in my study, so we read Jesus being anointed at Bethany, and I found it interesting that in most accounts after that story— is then Judas going to betray him? What I kind of tied the two together was when he was like, We could have used this money, you know, because that was that jar when we, to go back a little bit, that jar of perfume that was put on Jesus' head, it wasn't a small thing. When he said, We could have used this money, it was worth, they think they said a year's wages. So, like, it was a denarius, and a denarius was one day's worth of wages, and it was like 300. Mm-hmm. So, that was taking out festivals and holidays. Yeah, that was a year's worth of wages. That was a lot of money. And almost to see that when Jesus kind of rebuked him or tried to correct his thought process and say, no, focus back on me. And the way he even did it was, the poor you will always have, but me you won't. And this was done for this moment. Like, hey, Judas, lock eyes with me again. Almost to the point, like you said, like we, Jesus knew what was going on in the war in his heart, right? The back and forth. And he's trying to say, lock eyes on me again. Look at me. Almost in the same way where Peter, after he denied Jesus and and then turned around and looked and and through the courtyard, he then saw Jesus and the Bible says he looked. And that wording is like an intent look, like he looked through him. And, and again, I can't say this is biblical, but I'm just working through this story in my head mm-hmm. that he's trying to get him to look at him again, maybe so he could give him that same look. And it was at that moment that Judas then follows up with this. I'm going to then turn him over. Like, I've had enough of this.
0: And it's a really interesting thing, because if we were to really consider who's the only one who's really worthy of that kind of gifting, that if you were to look at, hey, that should go to the poor. It's like, I I think that to be able to give God a gift, you know, to give the Messiah a gift. I I did a quick search, and this was from a couple years back, but it said that that might have been worth like $54,000 so yeah a year's wage yeah yeah so expensive thing and and jesus saying hey i am here like it's almost like hey i am worth it you're following me Mm. this is a thing that we have going on here you're always going to have the poor but like you said catch eyes with me and even get what's going on here and it just brought to mind even as you were talking because you know trying to work through it i know that there's a lot of people even you know christian people too who we want to make it all about like the social justice that we can do and how do we take care of him, how do we take care of and it's like to the absence of looking at god and giving him what he's worth i don't know i'm not sure if i'm communicating that clearly i get what you're saying yeah, I think, yeah, yeah yeah to where it's no no no. i'm so focused here so focused here and can even look at a church like why are you over there having a worship service we should be out here on the streets taking care of homeless people it's both <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know it, what i mean it but... almost
1: goes back to like what you, we were talking about last week on the Q and A when we got to the like the church of ephesus and losing your first love like mm-hmm. i know your good deeds you're doing all these things you're helping in this area and the church even can be doing a lot of things but if their eyes have been taken off jesus if they've lost that love for why they're doing it then they're just doing things and, and kind of like what you're saying like When we look at what's around us in the world, yeah, there's a lot of poor around us, but how are we actually going to help them? It's not going to be through our own means. It's going to be when we get our eyes locked on Jesus that we can then help them. Because we see that Judas, he betrayed, you know what I mean? He was with and
0: he was doing all those things, but he he wasn't in love with Jesus to the point that, like you said, right after this, he went to go to the betrayal. And it's just really interesting. He goes, oh, you didn't put the money in the bag so that
1: I could take from the bag? Let me go to some people who will give me the money. Mm -hmm. Which brings me into the Matthew passage of it all. So Matthew reads, Then one of the twelve, the one called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priest and asked, What are you willing to give me if I hand him over to you? So they counted out for him thirty silver coins. From then, Judas watched for an opportunity to hand him over. So this account doesn't say, you know, then Satan entered his heart, but it, it does give us a glimpse where Judas was at. And it's a, to me, it's a very important question that Judas gives them. What will you give me? What will you give me to turn him over? And when you look at this, we go from looking at him being frustrated about a year's worth wages to 30 silver coins was two months wages. You know, the, okay, I'll just take this then. Like you said, well, they're not going to, he's not, I can't take from the purse anymore. I'll get this somewhere else. But that, what will you give me is such a crucial thing. And I'm going to get into it a little bit more later when we, when we stop talking about this and I, I'll probably turn a little preachy then, but Oh, you'll turn preachy then? Yeah, then, yeah. (laughs) Uh, But the what will you give me, it's, I guess to me, when I locked in on that was, Jesus hasn't been satisfying me enough. Now, what will you, the world, give me? And I think it's a thing that we, we go struggle through all the time. And again, looking at Judas as the bad guy and thinking like, man, Judas, how could you sell out Jesus? We go through that every day. We sell out Jesus for less than two months wages. We sell it out for looking at, a, a girl, a little bit longer than we should have, or a male, or we sell him out because we want to go out and do things of the world. We want to look at pornography. We want to cuss with our friends, or lie to we want to lie to get ahead. We want to manipulate people so that we don't look bad. We want to present ourselves as this functioning good person when deep side down inside we're not, and we know we're not dealing with all these things properly. We have all these addictions or things that we struggle with. And then we harp on Judas and say, man, he only sold him out for 30 pieces of coin. You sold Jesus out by looking at someone too long. You sold Jesus out by flipping out and getting angry at your wife and your kids or your husband and, and your kids or at a coworker. You, you sold him out when you went to your neighbor because you got mad at them for playing music too loud. Like we all say, what will you give me all the time? And I think it's, it's not, not that it's not wrong, but look at Judas' life and say, don't do that. You know, when we go through the villains and, and we had a, we already recorded one episode that will come out next week with a guest, uh, Pastor Chris Brown from North Coast Church. And one of the things that I liked that he brought up about Samson was he said, there's nothing in Samson's life that says I should follow this. And when we look at the villains, that is a lot of what we're going to see. It's not going to be like, oh, here's actually a good thing I could pull out. It's usually the flip side of that, the do not do this. So to me, this, it was such a, a big thing here of the, that question. So we've been bought for a
0: price and we sell out cheap. To God, I'm just going to say this in a way I'm not trying to be like heretical and what, however people tear things on, but to God, like we're priceless. He gave up his son to get us. And yeah, we sell ourselves out for what? You know, the riches of life that God wants to give us that through Christ, the abundant life that he came to give. And what do we gain for any of these areas that we sell out? And this reminds me of Hosea right mm. hosea prophet man of god god says hey go marry that prostitute so here's this prostitute whatever life she was living now she has a husband a man of god even you know I'm pretty sure that's the best situation that like somebody in her situation could come into she just kept going out she just kept going back out on the streets leaving her husband leaving her husband leaving her husband it's like dude you have a husband now who will love you and i don't know they're just selling yourself out
1: that's a good point of she had something that she could have loved more this is, to me, the when we're getting into this crux of Judas, because now we're going to get into Jesus predicting his betrayal. In Matthew, I'll continue Matthew, same chapter 26, Jesus has then like got them all together. They're having the Passover, and they're eating a meal together. I have John's account. It says Jesus then overwhelmed or filled or just kind of, you know, his spirit was moving. But in Matthew's it just says this, and, and while they were eating, he said, I would tell you the truth, one of you will betray me. They were very sad and began to look at him one after another and said, Surely not I, Lord. Jesus replied, The one who has dipped his hand in in the bowl with me will betray me. The Son of Man will go just as it is written about him. But woe to that man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. Then Judas said, The one who would betray him. See, there again, now Matthew's doing it. He's adding the betrayer every time his name's mentioned. Said to him, Surely not I, Rabbi. And Jesus replied to him, Yes, it is you. And there's so much here. Like again, we go into like he wasn't your typical villain because when Jesus said this, they weren't all like Judas, definitely Judas. Like it's it's that guy, you know. They didn't point him out right away. They all looked at each other like, who could it be? Yeah. And then Judas was like going into it, and he was like, I don't know, Rabbi, is it me? But there's some interesting things here that I want to point out. The first one is this, or this is the interesting thing that I got from this was. The other disciples, I'm a word guy, so words started popping out to me when I read this. The other disciples said, is it I, Lord? Judas said, is it I, Rabbi? And when you look into the word Rabbi, it breaks down to teacher. Mm -hmm. Basically, everyone else said, is it me, God, Lord of my life? And Judas said, is it me, guy who's a good teacher and a teacher in my life? And it's, it's interesting because he spent three years with Jesus and it never moved from teacher to Lord. He saw the, probably the greatest life ever. He saw water change to wine. He saw the feeding of 5,000 and 4,000. Not only did he see the feeding of 4,000 and 5,000, but he was handing the food out during this, this great miracle, this never-ending food supply. He's seen storms getting cal- calmed, the lame walking, Jesus walking on water, the blind seeing demons being cast out. He saw Lazarus being brought back to life. And his life never went from rabbi to Lord. And it's such a heartbreaking thing that he spent three years that we've we've talked about this. He heard the Sermon on the Mount over and over again. He heard when Jesus said, what, what was it you said earlier? Uh, you can't serve two masters. Mm-hmm. Over and over again. And his life never changed from rabbi to Lord. And maybe that's why... Satan was able to get into his heart and into his life because his attitude and relationship with God and Jesus never graduated beyond. Yeah, he's a good teacher.
0: And even with that, as you were talking about that, it reminded me of in John 4, the woman at the well, that even there, the conversation, she's a Samaritan woman, and you know Jesus comes up, and just the interaction between a Jew and a Samaritan, and then a man and a woman, the whole thing, and Jesus is by himself because the disciples want to go do some stuff, and they're talking. And basically at a point she recognizes like, oh, you have to be a prophet. And she recognizes a prophet just from, you know, how he's speaking and teaching and what he's talking about. But then she gets to the point of, oh, when the Messiah comes, he's going to explain all that to us. And then he tells her, I who speak to you am he, like I am the Messiah. And from where that conversation goes, she goes back to the whole village and starts telling everybody, right? Mm. So it's just from that one interaction to where Jesus was able to look into her life And it really, you bring up a great point is that if I'm not going to take Jesus on as my Lord, I'm going to betray him Mm -hmm. because, oh, he just has some stuff for me to follow in my life. And, oh, I didn't, I wasn't that good of a student that that time. You know what I mean? But it's like when it comes to the point, like the rest of them, and you can see a difference. Well, the Holy Spirit coming and makes a difference too, because you can see how the disciples were through the gospels. And then when they're writing their letters and through the book of Acts, it's like, the, the Holy Spirit makes a difference there, but they receive that because of their belief
1: in him. I like the, the, the point you brought up there, too, because it was one encounter changed her view from—and I think you said she called him teacher? Yeah. From teacher to Messiah. And one encounter, one experience where Judas had this plethora of experiences with him, and it never went from rabbi or teacher and, and to Lord. And, and the big thing I got out of what you were saying right now was, if I keep Jesus as teacher— well, a teacher can sometimes be wrong. Like just because they're the teacher doesn't mean they actually know everything. I, I grew up in school and sometimes my teachers made mistakes when they were writing out a problem or said something that was incorrect or because things were always evolving, lesson plans changed and stuff like that. So a teacher can be wrong or he's just a teacher. He doesn't know everything. But if it's God, if it's Lord, then I have to submit. I have to say that every word that comes out of your mouth is what's best for my life. And I have to give into that. And that's where we kind of play the back and forth, you know, the on one side or the other, because sometimes we can have our relationship with Jesus just be teacher. Well, that's good advice. Thank you, teacher. But I think I'm going to do what I want better. But when he's Lord, he's Lord of my life. He's Lord of my choices. He's Lord of my decisions. And for Judas, it just never crossed that path. I got this quote and I thought it was super cool. It said, uh, no man can be more akin to the devil than a perverted apostle." And that one hit me when I read that, and that's where we see Judas's life. You know, it's just this money thing and betraying thing just kind of changed who he was. We just had the interaction
0: with Jesus at the Last Supper. What happens from there? So he went to the Pharisees, sold him out for the money, went had the Last Supper. Then what?
1: Then the opportunity comes, and he goes to betray him. And that I pick up. I'm kind of staying in Matthew because that's where my Bible's been open at. Yep. So, While he was speaking... Judas, one of the twelve, arrived, and I guess that's the only time it doesn't say betrayer, with him, with a large crowd armed with swords, clubs, and sent from the chief priests and the elders, and the elder of the people. Now the betrayer had arranged, there it is, a signal with them, the one I kiss is the man to arrest. Going at once to Jesus, Judas said, greetings, rabbi, and kissed him. Jesus replied, friend, do what you have come for. Then these men stepped forward, seized Jesus, and arrested him. So there we have the next encounters that Judas does betray him and he does it with a kiss. And, you know, a lot of times that gets brought up a lot like, hey, he betrayed Jesus with a kiss, the kiss of betrayal. But Yeah, I was
0: looking in Luke, it Says he approached Jesus to kiss him? But Jesus asked him, Judas, are you betraying the son of man with a kiss? And even then, it's not too late. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's, it's never too late for him. He could have stopped. Well, I'm saying that, but I don't know as far as then Satan entered into him yeah. at that point. Is it too late to stop? I, th- I think of things to where
1: it's... uh. Well, I look at it like God's grace was still there for him to give him the ability to come back if he needed to, or if he, want, or if he chose to. Mm-hmm.
0: There it is. That was the decision, because the whole time the Pharisees were looking for a way to get him, and then they got their inside man. Ever since he got paid, he was looking for the opportunity. This was the opportunity. But Jesus knew. Because even at the Passover, he obviously knew one of you is going to betray. And then when he went to go and pray, right, and he was praying, hey, my time has come, and, and all of a sudden, let this cup pass for me. So he knew it was the time. And then finally, face-to-face with the, with the guy who's walked with him for years, who you know that Jesus was praying for Judas. And here he is, betrays him with a kiss.
1: It's even a sad like way to look at it when, when Jesus is when he's predicting the betrayal and he tells them it would have been better for this person not to be born man this person it would have just been better for them not to exist like to never have come into life because of what they're about to do and it it just kind of lays out this sad tragic tale of what Judas's life was uh, a life that I, I guess to me is you could look at it as missed opportunity someone who was following Jesus around who was part of what Jesus was doing Who heard all the teachings was probably not probably. Judas had the good fortune with all the other eleven disciples to be closer to Jesus than any person else would ever be on this earth in a physical way. And then his life ends with the Matthew chapter 27. Early the next morning, so this is after Jesus had been arrested. Early the next morning, all the chief priests and the elders of the people came to the decision to put Jesus to death. They bound him, led him away, and handed him over to Pilate the governor. When Judas, who had betrayed him, saw that Jesus was condemned, he was seized with remorse and returned the 30 coins to the chief priests and the elders. I have sinned, he said, for I have betrayed innocent blood. What is that to us, they replied. That's your responsibility. So Jesus threw the money into the temple and left. Then he went away and hanged himself. The chief priests picked up the coins and said it is against the law for us to put it into the treasury since it is blood money, so they decided to use it to buy the potter's field as a burial place for foreigners. This is why it is called the field of blood to this day. It's just such a tragic tale of seeing someone who, who never really put it together with his relationship with Jesus and never went beyond kind of the surface level. And then this tail end of filled with remorse that led him to go out and hang himself.
0: But in that, for the devil to be looking for the opportunity, because we see like the Pharisees and stuff, right? And we see that. But we know that there's the spiritual war that's going on, and that the devil was seeking to kill the Messiah, not knowing what would happen through that, and knowing that through a human, it would just take that that time of weakness to come in and take control. Because, man, how many times have I been mad at somebody or done a stupid thing because just filled with the emotion of that time and just whatever it was I was feeling got stuck recycling those thoughts in my mind and in my mind and in my mind? And then I was just like, you go out and you do the thing, and immediately you go, oh. That was too far. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. There's been plenty of things like, oh, that was too far. I can't go back from that. You know, sometimes it's something you say. Sometimes it's something you do. Consequences can be really heavy. And just the immediate remorse that sobers you at that point to where like, man, I've done some really stupid stuff thinking that it wasn't a stupid thing. And as soon as I did it and realized the weight of what I did and how sober minded I became in that moment, because now I'm faced with that was real. And I'm faced with the consequences of that now. And seeing that in Judas to where he's, wait, I'm seeing Jesus getting dragged away. What have I done? Like, this isn't the thing. I need to go and respond. That's your responsibility. And that is the exact, that's the response from sin and from the devil that when we give in for all of the promises, it's as good as sin is going to be in all of the stuff. Once we get hit with the consequence, that's your responsibility. Mm,
1: I like that. That when we do wrong and we go back to like, oh man, I messed up, the world is going to tell us, yeah, you did, you messed up. It's interesting because when I look at Judas, because we get to this tail end of what happened here, this whole story of like Judas betray Jesus, but then also Peter denied Jesus, both are left in this sense of like, I've messed up. Judas, where he was at, wasn't a bad spot necessarily. You know, he he betrayed Jesus, yes, he turned him over, but all fulfilling what God had intended. I'm just going to say that's a bad spot. I will not I mean, trade spaces with Judas. <laughs> the, the, where I'm getting at with it is, I agree it is a bad spot, but where I'm getting at is that the, the remorse, realizing I've done wrong, mm-hmm. but there's, there's two words that I understand separated Peter and, and Judas. It's conviction and condemnation. Mm-hmm. And conviction led Peter to go back and eventually return to Jesus and follow Him, and then blow up and do what He did in the afterwards. Condemnation led Judas to go to the priest, go back to the people who gave him the money, and try to confess his sins to the to basically the people who he made the shady deal with. That's like, hey, I messed up. I'm going to the people who are already shady and trying to get them to make me feel better. That's not gonna happen. That they're not in that place. That's not who they are. And then because he didn't get that kind of comfort that he needed, it led to his only option of taking his life. But the way his story tells, it doesn't seem like there was. this was a person who at the end of his life looked to God to fix and to correct the sin in his life. So it's a tragic tale. I read this and I thought it was pretty cool. It said the other 11 apostles are all great encouragements to us because they exemplify how common people with typical failings can be used by God in uncommon, remarkable ways. Judas, on the other hand, stands as a warning about the evil potential of spiritual carelessness, squandered opportunity, sinful lust, and the hardness of the heart. Here was a man who drew so close to the Savior as it is humanly possible. He enjoyed the privileges Christ afforded. He was intimately familiar with everything Jesus taught, yet he remained in unbelief and went into a hopeless eternity. And it's crazy because Judas, like where did he come from? And in researching I found
0: all kinds of stuff about like supposed backgrounds and stuff that were written way later, like, oh, he killed his father and married his mother and all this <laughs> stuff. It's just like this is ridiculous stuff. But kinda came out of nowhere. He wasn't really a main character throughout the story until Devil got a hold of him. And then for as quickly as he came onto the scene, he was back out. Devil just got a hold of him, put him to the use, and then destroyed him. Like it was just Th- that's what that was, and even throughout the rest of the letters and the everything, for as crucial as a point in Jesus' life that was, that he got betrayed by Judas, he doesn't re- really get mentioned. That's yeah. not the point. It's just he's like forgotten almost. He's mentioned for as much as he needs to be mentioned. Hmm. You you get what I mean? Yeah. Is like when you're saying would he be in heaven? And it's like it's almost as if he would be forgotten to history if it wasn't for the fact that. It needs to be known that that's what happened. I don't, I don't know. I, that's kind of also my opinion to it, but so little is given. And it's just like, yeah, he was there and then he was done. And we don't even need to talk about that. Like,
1: you get what I'm coming from? Yeah, yeah. Like, his, he played his part, he did his role, and then the story yeah. moved on.
0: When you look at other, like, any other story, like, oh, the bad guy is like this whole thing. Mm-hmm. And it's like, he was a bad guy, but also he was getting used by the bad guy.
1: Yeah. And he was just a pawn. Which does, again, it does make the story of Judas a little more tragic. I, I want to move into some, now that we've kind of ran through his life, I want to move into some applicational things because I, I think this is the part where we take this and we have to learn from this. If we don't look at all this and, and see where we can change and grow, then it's pointless. We're basically Judas. But to me, the first thing is this is about lordship. The, the story of Judas is it's about lordship. The thing that just... it. It can't go away from my mind was the Rabbi to Lord, and when we do make Jesus Lord, it does change our actions, it does change our decision makings because we're not doing them based on what I feel I think or what we see others doing. We're doing them based off of where God is leading us and choosing us and directing us. Another thing I got is being involved in ministry or even being successful doesn't mean that Jesus is Lord in your life. now just because you're doing things and and that's a good point. He heard Jesus say. There'll be people who prophesied, cast out demons, but I'll tell them, I do not know you. Why? Because they didn't know him. And when we look at it, everyone else, all the 12 disciples, Lord, Judas, Rabbi, he never fully understood or wanted to know, know him more. And it's, it's something we have to look at that just because we're doing things in ministry, just because we're serving, does that mean God is Lord of my life? And then a question I have is, what do you love more than Jesus? Because that will create doubt about who Jesus is in your life. Whatever you love more than than Jesus does start to create the doubt of who Jesus is in your life. Because both of them are battling for number one spot in your heart. And then the last one is this. Judas is like us when we allow our desires to trump God's. We all say at one point in our life, what will you give me to turn over Jesus? So those are some applicational things that I've got for us. And and now I'll let you (laughs) finally respond as you've been pondering all of them. Now I'm just wondering how many people are left to listen
0: to me after this. I don't want to listen to this anymore. (laughs) I thought I was here to listen to the other villain. You're trying to say that I might be him. Yeah, those are good questions or good observations to kind of bring it into. I get what you're coming with as far as like the rabbi and the Lord. I know that people who might be more inclined to Jewish thought would look at a rabbi and say, no, like the purpose of a disciple is to become the rabbi. Like it is supposed to be on that level of following. But yeah, just taking Jesus on, even as as rabbi, like the other disciples did at first, like it took a while for them to realize, oh, you're Messiah, and then make that switch over to that. But Judas didn't. But the amount that Judas sat under the teaching, the more that I've been thinking about that when looking through this is all of the things that we see coming up in Judas's life as issues, we can find places where Jesus spoke to those things Mm -hmm. and got him involved in trying to fix those things, right? Like, cool, take care of the money purse. I would say that right now, Jesus is giving us the teaching that we need through the scripture and through, you know, teachers that we have access to in different things, through counsel from others, through the guidance of the Holy Spirit. Jesus is trying to give us what we need. Mm -hmm. Are we going to submit to it? And like you said, where do we sell out? Because those are the areas that we're not submitting. Ultimately, what I've found is that I don't get to choose the consequence or the outcome of my sin the lie that I tell myself is that this is a little one, and it'll be like every other little one, and it won't grow beyond any of that, and it's easily forgivable, and I'm fine, and that's what it is. But like, that is a horrible, horrible lie that leads down the slope from, oh, here's Judas, and then, oh, there's Judas another thing, and here's Judas another thing, and then the Satan entered into him. And then even to the point of, oh, I I made a mistake. I need to go and do something. It reminds me of Esau when he sold his birthright to to Jacob and he went and he tried to repent of it and it was, he couldn't do anything about it. And like when we screw around with sin, when we screw around with disobedience, like we don't get to the choose the point to where, oh, there's nothing I can do about this. Like just, you know. But at the same time, kind of following through is that I still wonder, even after they wouldn't take the coins, even after he was at the point when you say the conviction and the condemnation, because Jesus also predicted, just like he predicted his betrayal, he predicted his resurrection. And Peter didn't really get reunited to the whole love of of Jesus thing until after the resurrection. Mm -hmm. I just wonder if Judas would have went to the other disciples, these other people who have been taught in the way of Jesus. Could he have found acceptance there? Could they have waited it out? Could they have worked through? You know what I mean? And I know that when condemnation moves in and the consequences of every action move, and all this stuff, and just like, even with Judas, I wonder, even given all of that thing, like you said, it had to have happened, but could there have been redemption? Yeah. And from my studying, there's kind of people who end on either side of the camp, but I don't know. I just think that God's grace abounds and that to have remorse and a repentant heart, what more can we have? Mm -hmm. Like the fact that I've already screwed up, I've already screwed up. And Jesus comes to us all at that point that you've already screwed up. But let me work with you through that. Let me work alongside
1: you through that, not let that thing separate you from me. Mm -hmm. I look at it and think like, because of the greed thing was an issue. And you brought it up the little like, small this one thing won't won't do anything to me right it won't won't hurt anything and i can it won't create that big of a deal here in my life but that small then becomes bigger and slowly bigger and bigger and it's like almost erosion right it's it's erosion happens it's not instant it's you know when we see like then satan entered his heart it wasn't that then all of a sudden he became this evil person he was Mm -hmm. constantly dealing with it because it was a slow process because he was giving in here and he was giving in there and he was giving in and giving in that it eventually led to that final moment like the foothold started when he took the first thing by the time he got to the point where he was like i'm just gonna go talk to these dudes about how what they will give me the whole house was open Mm -hmm. and satan could have just easily came in at any moment to use him for what his purposes were
0: yeah when you're talking about erosion i almost think like like the landslide or like when the side of the mountain falls off or whatever, there's been erosion through just like, you know, the little granules and stuff getting, but then it fractured what was supposed to be there yeah. that was holding it up. And then all of a sudden the whole side of it comes off. And that's the danger for me mm-hmm. in what we think our little disobedience is to where, oh, Jesus is giving me a teaching here. Jesus is giving me a teaching here. And kind of the application for me, and I got this from my from my old pastor, He said, a lot of times the problem with us isn't all the scripture that we don't know. It's the scripture we do know, and we're not doing anything with it. And that's kind of where it's at for me. If we're going to take Jesus on as Lord,
1: how has he already showed you that he needs to be Lord? Apply that. I like this. I got it from Spurgeon, and and then I'll, I'll say something, and this will kind of wrap up my part of the show. It says, a godly man often grows best when his worldly circumstances decay. He who follows Christ for his bag is a Judas. They who follow for loaves and fish are children of the devil, but they who attend him out of love to himself are his own beloved ones. Lord, let me find my life in thee and not in the mire of this world's favor or gain. When I read that, I thought this is a good tie up. When I look at it, and it is what we all deal with on a daily basis, it's he never got his eyes off of the world and onto Christ fully. And this is a person who experienced it. And no, no one else that we're going to talk about experienced God on a daily basis for three years in this intimate setting. No one else has really had a relationship with Jesus. Judas had that friendship, but it just wasn't enough. The world's, what the world had to offer seemed like more. I, I bring that up because I feel like a lot of us get caught in that point. That, And I know I've done it. I made the mistake. I've pastored for for decades or a decade, and then what the world had to offer seemed better, and I made a mistake, and I chose this world over my God, mm-hmm. but to come back is always an option, and it's there, and, and I want to get in a spot where I'm no longer, it's no longer rabbi, it's its Lord, because I need him, I, I, and thats that's the important part. I need him to be in charge of all my life, because when I'm in charge of my life, I could screw it up, and I could end up not saying in a situation like Judas, but I can destroy an opportunity that's given to me.
0: Yeah, I'd come across that quote as well when I, when I was going through. And just hearing you say it, it reminded me, and this is a whole another podcast in and of its own, for us to be careful of the teachers that we're sitting under, because a lot of teachers who might crack open the Bible can try and lead you in the way of its, your bag and even the loaves and the fish, mm-hmm. right? So even to just be like, I've, I like that quote, kind of meditate on that one. I just have one. It's from Augustine. He said, Judas followed Christ with his body, but not
1: with his heart. That's that's an ouch. That's all I got. I feel like uh, yeah. we've kind of come to the same conclusion yeah, here. That's a good one because when you think about it, he moved along. And look at the church and look at your own life. Are you just moving along with Jesus or have you started following and giving him your heart? I have one last thing. Go for it. Because all
0: of this has been about villains and so much we've been trying to be like, oh no, are we the villain? Are we the... Jesus is the victor and he's inviting us into that. There's extremely good news for all of us. I know that, like, at points we've been like, oh man, I found myself, he's rescued me from so many things and the forgiveness has been there. My life isn't what it used to be. And I know that yours isn't. And I know that probably so many people that are hearing us, it's not that. So, just to kind of come to the point of we focused on the villain for a bit, the solution
1: out of everything is to focus on the victor. And that's where we need to keep our eyes on. I think that's the important part. Move our eyes off of everything else put them on the victor and watch how your life changes all right so i'm chris i'm your the we are your church friends thanks for listening